Welcome to This Fundraising Life, a podcast about much more than just the numbers. I'm Heather Yando, a fundraising expert and the creator of the Individual Donor Benchmark Project. Today's guest is Tony Martinetti, a fundraising consultant and the voice of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. I hope you enjoy our conversation about the world of planned giving, including how to start a new program, what mistakes to avoid, and how to talk with prospects. Tony, thanks so much for joining us on this fundraising life to talk about planned giving. Heather, thank you so much for inviting me. I'd love to be part of it. Thank you. Excellent. Well, to get started, can you just tell us a little bit more about planned giving? What is it? This is long-term fundraising for nonprofits. These are gifts that are in the donor's estate plan or their retirement plan. And what distinguishes these from other types of giving is it's typically cash to the nonprofit at the donor's death. So it's long-term fundraising. What what it's not is funding that's going to pay your five-year capital plan or the salary budget this year. It's long-term. And so the organization and its board need to have a long-term view of fundraising. We could be talking easily 20 or 25 years before it's actually cash to a nonprofit. That makes sense. So it's not something we can depend on for next year's budget. It's really building out for the future of the organization. Exactly. Sustainability. I mean, there's so much talk about sustainability. Drill down, what does that mean? It means you want to be around in 20 years. And planned giving will help you do that. It's excellent at helping organizations in the long term. So I think I've worked with a lot of organizations who have heard this term. They kind of, they get that they should have a planned giving program, but they're not really sure how or where to start. So what advice would you give, particularly for small nonprofits or those with not a lot of fundraising staff, how would you suggest they start a planned giving program? First thing I would recommend is don't be intimidated. Um, if I have, if I end up with just a couple of takeaways for this fundraising life, that is one of them. Don't be intimidated. You don't have to have a, a ton of expertise to be successful in planned giving. Uh, you don't even need much expertise at all. So don't be scared by it. The place to start is promoting the idea of including your organization in your donors' wills. Everybody knows. So why is that? Everybody knows what a will is. Everybody should have one. By the time you're 25 or so, you should have a will. Certainly by the time you have your first child, you you need to have a will because of guardianship issues. Um, so everybody knows what it is. Everybody needs one. Um, there's It's simple to include your organization in a will. The donors don't have to tell you that they've done it so they can they can stay below the radar, although we try to encourage them to tell you, but but they don't have to. All these reasons, oh, there's no lifetime cost to it. All these reasons, wills are the most popular planned gift. And for that reason, promoting the idea of including your organization in donors' wills is the place to start. And I don't know if you want to go to this way to marketing, but there's a lot of easy ways to to promote that idea. And then if you want to go further in planned giving, you can. I mean, there's, there's a ton of other things you can do and promote beyond that or you could just stop with wills and continue that indefinitely and that be a very respectable and successful planned giving program. Just 
based on Will's. So I am curious about when you say promoting this idea. I've I've seen folks in, include uh, some language in their monthly newsletter or potentially in a, um, a direct mail piece. But what are some of the ways that you've seen people really be successful at promoting the idea of including the organization in the donor's will? For my clients, direct mail has been the most successful. I like to do pieces that are devoted to a wills campaign, and those have been the most successful. And I, I like to see standalone pieces that are devoted to that subject. Uh, but I know that that's expensive. Direct mail is costly. I understand that. So beyond that, there are a lot of very inexpensive ways that you can promote a Wills campaign. I'm gonna I'm gonna call it a campaign because I like to you know have something exciting, a hook to grab people's attention. So you know we kicked off our planned giving program and we're inaugurating a Wills campaign. We're encouraging you to include us in your will. That that's the basics of a of a Wills campaign. So how else can you do it? Uh, besides direct mail. A newsletter, you mentioned newsletter, a sidebar in a newsletter. It doesn't have to be a whole article, like 300-word article on, on wills. It, it could be, but it doesn't have to be. It could be a 50-word sidebar on, in a newsletter. Email blast, same thing. Mention at events. You know, it's easy to drop in like three or four sentences about basically what I just said. We kicked off a planned giving campaign. We're promoting the idea of wills. Love for you to include us in your will. It's so easy to do. There's the director of development. Please talk to her for more information. So dropping it into events. Any publication you have, if you're doing an annual report, you can you can have a sidebar there promoting wills. If you're doing direct mail, but you can't spend the money for a piece devoted to wills, then you drop a, a buck slip in. You know, it's like a third of a page. So it's not going to increase the, the weight and the cost of your mailing. And it's very simple. Include us in your will. Here's the info you're going to need. And for all these ideas, this is what you would include. They need your legal name, your tax ID number, and your address. With that, just that information, they bring it to their attorney next time that they're revising their will or when they're creating their first will. And they say, you know, I got this info from this organization that I've been supporting. I want to include them. And, and here's the info that you need. It's legal name, tax ID, and address. So you're making this sound really simple. So you Good. just need to kind of say the words and not be intimidated. But yeah. you know, a lot of organizations don't have plan giving programs. They're not even doing that. So what do you see in your work as, as the barriers to really getting started? And how do you overcome those barriers? Well, my first takeaway was don't be intimidated. Yeah. And that's because one of the barriers is intimidation. People think that they have to have an attorney as a consultant or on their board. It's not necessary. You're asking people to include you in their will, and then they're going back to their attorney, to their attorney. And saying, I want to, I want to include the organization in my will. Here's, here's the, the three pieces that I know you need. So people think that plan giving is this black box and it, it requires expertise and it, it just doesn't. Uh, another barrier. People think we're talking about death. Oh, I don't want to talk to my donors about their death. You're not talking about their death. Takeaway number two. This is not about death. It's about their long-term plan for your organization. You're Ideally, now, you know, this is getting a little more detailed, but ideally you promote this to, to people who are already supporting your organization. This is not donor acquisition because nobody's going to include a brand new organization that they're not familiar with in their will. But, you know, I'm trying to keep marketing and promotion costs down. So that's why I was suggesting the, you know, if you can't do the direct mail to the targeted people, to the, to the committed donors, 
then you do the, the, the mass promotions that I was describing, and then you'll end up hitting a lot of people, connecting with a lot of people who are not going to do it because they're, they're maybe too young. But you'll also hit the crowd that, that is going to do it, and that's the people who are like roughly 55 and over because that's when people start thinking about their estate plan, their will as a charitable vehicle. So that's why you know I prefer direct mail because you can be targeted in who you're mailing to. But if you can't afford direct mail devoted to planned giving, then don't be intimidated and do the do the promotion and, and, and the outreach to a broader base. That's okay. So you know those are sort of the barriers I see, the fear of talking about death and it's not that and the and the intimidation. Mm, yeah. You, you instead of instead of talking about someone's death, you're talking about what their gift in their will is going to do for your organization in the long term. You want your mission to continue indefinitely beyond beyond everybody who works there or beyond the founder if the founder is still active in your organization. So what does that look like? 20 years from now, you want to continue doing the work. You want to expand the work. So that's what the person's gift by will is going to help you do. You got to make that case. What's our long-term vision and how does a gift in your will help us meet it? I really like that reframing of it's the long-term vision. It's your long-term plan for the organization. Yes. You know, you've hit on this idea that, that one of our, one of people's barriers, one of the concerns is really talking about death. And so when we're thinking about sitting down and talking with donors about, or talking with prospects about this, what are any other phrases, viewpoints that you use to help talk about this that may ease the concerns that some of our listeners have about bringing up this topic with folks who are potential planned gift makers? When you're talking about face-to-face meetings, you only want to bring this up with people who it's appropriate for. So now we're talking 55 and over, and they are committed donors. I mean, their giving consistency has been very high. It does not have to be large. These do not, okay, takeaway number three, like Tony's takeaway number three. This is not only for your wealthy donors. It's for people of very modest means. I literally mean if they've been giving you $25 a year and they've done it for eight of the past 10 years or 16 or 18 of the past 20 years. You know, they're that committed, but at low levels or above, I mean, if they are major donors, then that's great too. But it does it's not only for major donors. That's my takeaway number three. So when you're, when you're talking to somebody who meets those parameters, about 55 and over, and they're a committed donor already to your organization, then they're ready to have a conversation with you about whether your organization fits in their long-term plan. So how do you open the conversation? All right. I mean, you don't walk in the door and say, put us in your will. But <laughs> you know, you've, you, you're, you're into the conversation and you know, look, you know, you've been supporting us for so, so long, so committed to us. We're enormously grateful. Would you consider including us in your long-term plan? Other donors just like you have done it. It'll help us in the future, in the long term. Is, is that something you would consider, including us in your long-term plan? And they might say, well, what, you know, what does that mean? What, what does that look like, long-term plan? What do you mean? Well, we have a wills campaign. We're encouraging, and you may have seen some of our pieces about it. Maybe you got our direct mail, or you, you saw it in our email blast, or our, the print newsletter, or you saw it on our annual report. Or it was you saw the drop in. I'm, I'm going over all the all the marketing tips that I had, but yeah, you know, the the buck slip we dropped in. You know, we have this wills campaign, and we're encouraging people like you to uh, to include us in their will. Is that something you would consider? You know, just like any other solicitation. But 
You're talking about the person's will instead of a gift of $50 or $5,000. And then, you know, they, they may ask, well, what would it go toward? Well, our long-term vision, our, our sustainability, you know, I mean, all the long-term ideas and, and the long-term case that you need to make for plan giving donors. That's it. I mean, so first you want to be talking to the right people and then that's how to segue into it. That is super helpful. And, and Tony, what I'm really hearing in your answer is that this pitch in a lot of ways is just like when you talk with donors about other gifts. You want to be confident and ask. You want to be direct about what you're asking. You want to have a well thought out reason for why they should be considering this gift. So as you said, it, it is another way that donors can support the organization. And that's a pretty good synopsis. Did I, did I actually say all those things? You did. You did. It was embedded in there for sure. Yeah. I don't like the humble ask. You know, uh, I hate to do, bring up this subject. Uh, you know, it's talking about your death and I, I hate to even raise it with you, but, you know, would you consider, I mean, that's a disaster. Mm. That is exactly what you don't do. No, everything you said, confident ask, just like you're asking for a gift of $500 for the annual fund and it's somebody who's given you 350 for the past 10 years. It's exactly the same concept. Absolutely. So we're starting to go down this path and I'm, I'm curious to hear from you, what are other mistakes that you've seen folks make that we should avoid in starting a plan giving campaign and talking to donors just in this whole area of plan giving? What are some of the mistakes that we should not repeat? Well, I don't see too many. My clients don't make mistakes. Uh, I, don't, <laughs> I don't let my clients make mistakes. Um, all right. So what if, yeah, uh, let's see. Yeah. I did have somebody went off the rails once from the talking points that I prepared for her. This was many years ago. Avoid off color jokes. She said something, this was a donor luncheon. And she said something like, why is our plan giving program so popular? People are dying to get into it or something like that. You know, oh, <laughs> I was there, cringe, uh, you know, just everything that we had talked about. Like I said, that was not part of, that was not part of the scripted remarks that I did for her. Avoid the off color. Uh, you know, that, I think that's enough said on that subject. Other mistakes, I guess the negative of all my takeaways, like being intimidated, talking about death, talking to the wrong people about planned giving. You know, if, if it's a face-to-face -face meeting, you don't want to have this discussion with a, with a millennial. It's too early. They're not, they, they, may, they may very have, well have a will. They ought to, but they're not thinking about using their estate plan yet, their will, as a, as a charitable vehicle. That comes later in life when, when people are more reflective about the organizations that have, that have been important to them through their lifetime and in the lifetimes of their children, perhaps. So yeah, I, I guess it would be the, the negative of my takeaways would be the things not to do. I, I haven't heard the distinction before about when we think about who to talk to for plan giving, it's donors 55 and over, and that that's when they start to make the transition to thinking of their will as a charitable vehicle. That's a really powerful concept. So thank you for that. That's really helpful. All right. Yes, absolutely. So we got the right mindset to start a plan giving program where we're not intimidated. We know who to ask. We know it's not about death. What, do, what does an organization need to have in place structurally uh, before they can begin to really start this in earnest or before they maybe should start a plan giving program in earnest? I like to see a nonprofit that's at least five years old uh, mm. because you're asking 
people to include you in their in their will, their long-term plan. And I just want to make the point too, there are lots of ways you can go beyond wills in planned giving into uh, life insurance, different types of trusts, IRAs, real estate, you know, but what we're focusing on getting a program started. So, but I want to reiterate that there are lots of things you can do, but you don't have to. I'll reiterate that too. You can have a very respectable, very successful plan giving program just doing what we're talking about so far, the wills. So five, at least five years, because you want people to be confident that the organization is going to survive them, is going to live longer than them. So I like to see at least five years. You need to have individual donors. This only works with people. So if you are mostly fee-for-service, foundation-funded, event-driven, but those event attendees are not giving you know, beyond the events, then you don't have a lot of potential donors, basically. You always have your board, so there's, there's potential there. Hopefully, your board members are donors to the organization and consistent donors. Again, they don't have to be major donors to be potential donors for planned giving. But So you always have your board to draw on, but beyond that, if you want to go further, you need to have these other things in place. And by the way, I think board members are the exception to the 55 plus. If you're sitting down and having a solicitation meeting with a board member about their gift for the coming year, I think board members who are under 55 should be solicited for a gift in their will. And then, you know, if they leave the organization and then they change their will and take you out of it, that's rare, but it it could happen. But I think when someone's a board member, they should have your organization in their will. So five years old, a base of individual donors. One of the things I've also heard advised for folks who are going to start accepting different valuable pieces out of a will is to have a gift acceptance policy. Do you do any work with gift acceptance policies? I do. A gift acceptance policy is a very good thing to have. I'm trying to keep this easy you know, and low barrier for planned giving. I, don't, I wouldn't say that you have to have it. No, I would not say that it's a prerequisite to kicking off a wills campaign and defining your plan giving program that way. Is it good to have? Sure. I mean, there's no downside to having a gift acceptance policy. And we're talking about a policy basically that defines what types of assets you'll accept and under what terms. Good example is real estate. Who pays for the due diligence for the real estate gift? Because you have to you have to do all the due diligence that you would do. Like if you were an individual, you as an individual were buying a, a home you do a lot of due diligence. Well, your charity has to do that same degree of due diligence before it accepts a piece of real estate, uh, even if you're going to turn around and sell it. But once your name is going to be on the chain of title, there's implications to that. So you want to make sure that you do the due diligence. So what is that due diligence? Who pays for it? And that's just one example of what would be in a in a gift acceptance policy. So I don't think, you, I don't think it's a prerequisite. As I said, it doesn't hurt to have it. Most of the gifts that come by will are gifts of cash. You could get an unusual gift, which is, uh, you know, some kind of gift in kind. could be artwork or some kind of collectible or it could be real estate. And you could deal with that on a one-off basis as it comes if you didn't have a gift acceptance policy. That makes sense. So, Tony, you mentioned a couple of times going beyond wills. And so I just want to ask for your advice. If, some, if an organization maybe has a planned giving program has been doing a wills campaign and is thinking about expanding uh, or going on to the next frontier, what would you recommend they consider in terms of expanding their plan giving? Life insurance is an easy one because people could name you as a beneficiary of their life insurance policy. 
and that could just be a percentage. So, you know, I like to say in seminars and also in promotion pieces that family always comes first, but can you carve out something for our organization, you know, whoever my client is. So maybe 85% of the life insurance policy goes to your husband or your wife, and then 15% is devoted to charity. And maybe those, maybe that 15% is divided five, five, and five among three charities. You know, you'd rather get a small piece of, of something than 100% of nothing. So we're, so life insurance can be very good. It's easy to, and it's also very simple, like the will. It's even actually probably simpler than a will because you don't even need the attorney. If, you, if, if your donor has a life insurance policy, they just get a change of beneficiary form from the insurance company. You download it from their, from their site and you designate, you know, my husband comes first and then 5% to this charity. Again, legal name, tax ID, address, 5% to the other one and 5% to the third, something like that. So life insurance can be a good one. Easy. If you have donors who are 70 and a half and over, then look at the um, the IRA charitable rollover. That's all, the, all I'll say because I'm thinking, you know, the, the organizations that are listening may not have donors that are, that are that age. But if you do, 70 and a half is the starting age where someone can make a gift directly from their traditional IRA, traditional or Roth IRA, to your organization. And that's actually very nice because that's a, that's a current gift. I consider it a planned gift because it's coming from an IRA, but it's current cash. It's cash immediately. There's some ins and outs of that. So again, uh, I guess I'm saying it three times. Only for donors, only, oh yeah, only for donors 70 and a half and over. And if you want more information on that, I did a, a video that a lot of organizations have found helpful. At, it's at TonyMartinetti.com and just search IRA charitable rollover. And there's like a eight or 10 minute video that explains the ins and outs of that. Anything... So we, we talked about naming organization as a beneficiary of a life insurance policy, but any financial asset that has a death clause, a, a payable on death clause. Um, so some savings and checking accounts, some brokerage accounts, other types of IRAs, some or all of these have a death benefit. You know, what happens to the money in this financial asset, whatever it is, on my death? Well, you fill out a form and you tell the, the company that's uh, that's holding your asset for you, that's administering it, where you want it to go when you die. And a charity can be a part of that. So those are a bunch of those are a bunch of different ways. Excellent. That's very helpful. And we will link to the IRA charitable rollover video in the show notes so that folks have easy easy access to that. So we've also been talking a good bit during this conversation about the importance of sitting down with donors to talk to them about this. That direct mail is fine, but if you can actually talk to a donor, that may be even better for getting uh, on their radar for plan giving. The Individual Donor Benchmark Project for the past couple of years has asked about how many uh, meetings with donors organizations have. And this year we found that on average, organizations are meeting with about 27 donors which represents only about 14% of their donor base. So I'm curious, in your experience, how does that statistic strike you? Does it seem right? Does it seem low, high? Just how does that jive with, with the work that you've been doing? 27 meetings in, in what time period? In a year. Oh, my God. No. <laughs> I was going I, I to say like six or eight weeks. No. That is abysmally low. We should be meeting hundreds of people a year, 
No, 27 in a year is very, very sad. People need to get out of the office more. That is not anywhere near where you should be in terms of potential donor meetings. Uh, I wonder if that, do you know, does that break down into, like, does that include stewardship of existing donors? Or is that only solicitation meetings with potential donors? Or or you don't, you don't have it sliced that thin? I don't have it sliced that thin, but it is uh, meetings with all donors. And there are some prospect meetings in that as well. So it may be even below 14%. So that includes stewardship meetings with people who are already donors. It does. No, that's that's way too low. Uh, I, I would say people need to get out of the office. You need to unburden yourselves from whatever it is that's keeping you chained inside your four walls. Uh, I don't know if it's whatever administrative tasks or whatever you're doing. You have to unchain yourself and have many more meetings than that. I mean, I like to see like 10 meetings a month. Yeah. And that monthly goal may be really helpful to keep yourself motivated and and on track. Yeah. And and there's so many tools that that can help you. Salesforce, I I can't think of all the other cloud services that I've seen demos of, but whatever your CRM system is, there's probably some kind of dashboard that keeps you on track with time versus goals. Take advantage of that. You need many more meetings than 27 a year. Agreed. Agreed. That's like a two month. That's like a two month number. So, Tony, can you just tell us a little bit more about the work that you do with clients uh, around plan giving or other fundraising topics? I do plan giving, and then I also do charity registration compliance. In plan giving, I am the like the outsourced director of plan giving for my clients. So I do all the marketing, promotion, negotiation, closing, and celebration around. Planned gifts. I think the best way to describe it is outsourced director of planned giving. Everything you would expect for an employee who has that job, um, that's what I do. And then in the charity registration side, that's a compliance issue. That's getting uh, charities into compliance in, with state laws in each state where they solicit donations. So you and I right now are both in North Carolina. If there's a charity in North Carolina that is soliciting in Virginia and South Carolina, any other states, then that charity needs to be registered with the state authorities, not only in North Carolina, but also Virginia and South Carolina and all the other states where it is soliciting. And I I do that work. I get clients into compliance with state laws in, in each state where they're soliciting. And how can people connect with you? I know you've got some great resources that folks can hear you on a regular basis. Yeah, I have the podcast, Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. That's, uh, I just had the seventh anniversary. The 350th show was just just last week, last Friday. Congrats. You can check out Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Thank you. Thanks, Heather. You could go to nonprofitradio.net. That's the the iTunes page. And you'll see the last two years of shows on that page. And for that, for, for my show or for any other resources, Use TonyMartinetti.com. Great. And can you spell your last name for those listening? Yes, there's a hidden G. Um, <laughs> Tony is with a Y, and it's M-A-R-T-I-G-N-E-T-T-I. I'm also very active on Twitter. Uh, if you want to uh, connect on Twitter, I'm at Tony Martinetti. Great. And we will put links to nonprofitradio.net and Tony Martinetti on the website so folks can get there as quickly and easily as possible. Okay. Thanks, Heather. 
So as we wrap up, any last advice or wisdom you want to share with our listeners? I would go back to takeaway number one. Don't be intimidated. Small and mid-sized shops, you can do a lot with planned giving. It's very respectable to just start and end with wills. In, in any planned giving program, wills are going to be like 75 or 80% of the gifts that you get. Even if you go into all the other areas that I talked about, wills is always going to be the, the most popular planned gift. So it is fine. That's definitely where you start. No question, you start there. And it is absolutely respectable to end there too and just indefinitely encourage gifts by will. So please, don't be intimidated. Get started. Uh, whatever day you listen to this, okay, then give yourself a day to think about it. And then I would say the next business day after that. So two days after you listen to this, you should be kicking off your, your Wills campaign. I love it. Fantastic advice. Well, thank you so much, Tony. <laughs> My pleasure, Heather. Thank you so much for inviting me. Always. All right. Bye, everyone. Thanks for joining us on this Fundraising Life. Remember that you can find show notes and links to more episodes at thirdspacestudio.com slash podcast. We want to hear your questions and comments. Email us at podcast at thirdspacestudio.com and let us know what questions you have and what topics you'd like us to cover in the future. And if you haven't yet, download this year's donor data at thirdspacestudio.com slash IDB project.